Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, one. All right, everybody. This is going to be a little different. I think it's we, this may be a big time improvement, Toxie. We, it might. We when I look around the room, it's just Toxie and I, and unbelievably, I'm looking at Kevin Van Dam sitting on the couch. It's here in person <laughs> in West Point, Mississippi. In West Point, Mississippi. <laughs> it, it, I had to pinch myself. Yeah, I was telling. You, it's funny. I don't want to get Kevin in trouble. I was like, so Bobby's shaking hands with him. I was like, here's Bobby Cole, who probably rather fish than hunt. And Kevin Van Dam, who may rather hunt than fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, just welcome here. We, you've All been right. here a couple of days, and we've done some podcasts before. But boy, it's just fantastic in person. to have you here in person. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really special for me to come to West Point, to the home of Mossy Oak, to see the history. I've been around. Um, you're welcome for. Me stopping in at the Mossy Oak store, by the way. <laughs> awesome place. You know, I mean. It's great to go online and look, but to go there in person too, to be able to see everything. Um, not, you know, again, you got a great website and it's a great place to go and all those things are there, but man, it's just so cool to see all clothing wise, especially, mm-hmm. you know, to see everything, yeah. all the licensed stuff that you have there. You guys got a unbelievable, uh, lot, lot going on around here. So I'm, I'm excited, man. It's going to be a fun week with the event coming up, but, uh, yep. to get here to be, do this in person special. I tell you what, uh, you got a twinkle in your eye. You got this little level of energy about you that <laughs> does. Uh, that I've heard about, but uh, to to see it, uh, tell me. Tell I love us. the outdoors, man. I've, that's, that's well, we got. Then he's excited. He's going to see the dogs. He's going to the nursery, check out the trees. All this, you know. It's funny that kindred spirits align in life if you give it long enough. But it's like everything. He loves is the things we do and the things he does and the things we love is so similar. It's eerie. Yeah. It, Turkey hunting? I, oh, my gosh. I mean, that. So the one thing that has been interesting as, you know, I've gotten to be part of the Mossy Oak family is I didn't realize early on just how absolutely head over feels ate up all of you are about turkeys. Everybody. So I, we, we, I take it kind of for granted where I'm at, but that being said, I've learned that you can't take it for granted. And and we, I do a lot in my land management, you know, I mean, whitetails are definitely our focus, right? And I've got a, we've got decent duck hunting. We're not in a flyway or anything like that. So we, we do a little bit thinking about mallards, uh, and I definitely do with turkeys. I never did first, but 
now um, I'm all about, you know, helping the turkeys too and, and doing that. We did a whole podcast, talked about a lot of that. And um, it's what I've got where we're at is unique. I know there's a lot of my friends around the country are not seeing, you know, their popul- turkey populations in a good place. So, um, you know, we're really even ramping up our efforts even that much more. And we've, again, this year, we, Mother Nature has been tough on my food plots and things like that for the whitetails, but it's been, it's like the best year ever for turkeys, the drought that we've had, um, you know, keeping the vegetation from really being so thick. And I mean, I'm just, what I see every day in my yard is, is crazy, you know, (laughs) tons of grasshoppers. So turkeys are, are doing really well, um, you know. We focus on the deer, but I, I do, I mean, I, I'm all about all of it. So growing up in Michigan, it was always about whatever the season was, right? So it, for, as far as fishing goes, it's the, the trout opener in April. Then it was the walleye opener. Then it was the bass opener. I mean, we, we have seasons, for, you know, for it. It's very different than, than in the, in the South. And it's the same with hunting seasons. You know I mean? I used to just look forward to the opening day of squirrel season, Yep, you know? Now, so now squirrels this year just got put on the, uh, whatever the, the same list as coyotes. Like there's no season. You can hunt them anytime you want, shoot them any way you want. Wow. There's, there's really, I mean, other than maybe hawks and owls, um, and I guess coyotes would get after them. They just, they're, they're really overpopulated, you know, in our area. So they, they actually put them on the nuisance list. So wow, squirrels. Had wow. not heard that. No, I mean, and rabbit hunting was a big thing, We, you know, and where I live um, with my dad, I grew up doing a lot of pheasant hunting, and we had a lot of rough grouse, and, and now we hardly have a grouse anymore, hardly mm-hmm. have a pheasant, no quail. Um, we have jillions of doves, but we have no dove season in Michigan. We just- You're we kidding. just No dove season? No, no we- we just, wow. I raise them to, for them to fly down to you. <laughs> you know, and we it's been harder down here. Again, I think part of our migratory fowl problems are the weather, and they just don't ever come south. Well, you know, I know for ducks and things like that, I mean, there's so many people doing such a good job of, uh, you know, building great habitat yeah. and doing, uh, I mean, a really good friend of mine at home just did a big, DU wetlands project on his place where they restored a lot of this. He bought this farm and they came in, they had one of their um, biologists come in, you know, script out a whole uh, project and they did all the dirt work. And wow, it's, he's got a 170 acre, you know, farm and he, he put a whole lot of it back into, into wetlands and it's super cool to see. And you know, that's, that's kind of what we know. We, everybody can't be that grandiose scale, but we keep saying all the time to to win and fight the battle and win of, of conservation. What we need, everybody needs to be engaged, not just the few, you know, with big trunks of land or, you know, big names or the government or whoever. It's everybody just taking matters into their own hands. So, I, I mean, if we've got to compete with people – Keeping ducks in the north because they built too much good habitat. Hey, uh, you know what? I'm cheering for them because if well, it's better for the ducks, I'm good with whatever. The one big thing I'll tell you that's different about where I live, and if you ever come up and turkey hunt with me, like we talk about, you'll you'll see is there coming. There's tons of small tracts of land, and there's a lot of people that even on ten acres, or say they got two acres or an acre in their yard, they're putting a strip of food plot on the edge of their lawn. 
And I mean, we have so many deer around and things like that. It all, the, what I'm saying is every little bit makes a difference anywhere you go. And there's so much more awareness now and knowledge out there about, you know, uh, being a gamekeeper, you know, being uh, conservation about managing for different uh, species, things you can do. I mean, this right here is one of the greatest tools there is. I mean, it, yeah, I look forward to every copy and I'm not joking. I mean, there's, I've been doing this a long time. You know, I've been, I started food plotting me and my best friend. And, and I mean, we, everybody wants to have better deer hunting, right? You want to, you want to have more deer, you want to have bigger deer. So, you know, I've been food plotting since I was a teenager and I've learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes and, and things like that. But now there's so much knowledge out there and there's so much more better information. And it doesn't matter if you're in Texas, Michigan, California, Maryland, or wherever, you can find great information that works in your local area and, you know, varieties that work there and, and practices and, you know, how you can create a small little sanctuary and, you know, and I, we did a lot by trial and error, you know, just, just experimenting with things, you know, I'm in small tracts of land. You don't have a, I can't do a 40 acre clear cut when you only got 10 acres, but boy, if you clear an acre, you can create a little bedding spot on Mm -hmm. your little piece of paradise and uh, so y'all is, is the pop the deer population where you are out of out of control i've always heard that about michigan yeah so the one thing in michigan that is i'm not a huge fan of is they've opened um you know bow season full season with crossbows they've got a you know a a long youth season they uh during muzzleloader season now you can use your you know in the southern part of the state where it's not rifle it's just shotgun only you can use you know, straight wall cartridge or muzzleloader. I mean, you can use anything during the muzzleloader season, during the primitive. So, and it's because there's, you know, so many car deer accidents. There's so many deer in close proximity. It's, it's very, you know, developed and the deer are very, I mean, they're good at adapting to living around a lot of people Mm -hmm. in neighborhoods. And it's just, it, it is, I mean, I planted, um, a seven acre food plot at my house and we, we had a drought and I'm like, it, we got a rain and it popped up and I'm like, man, something, it's just, it dried up. It's decimated. It's something's wrong. Well, I'm running these Spartan cameras and I, I'm getting quite a few deer pictures. Well, shoot. I went out there and looked, I had 25 deer that I counted at one time at six, at two hours before dark, All right. eating winter bulbs and sugar beets in August. Wow. They're not supposed to touch them until, you know, until right. it gets cold. So, right. so we have a, we have a numbers issue. You know, we just, uh, some years ago we had a big bout of EHD that, that really got us rebalanced. That was 2014. And now we're starting to get to that point where, uh, and, and we do have better regulations. The state has done a better job. I mean, used to have to draw for a dough permit to get one. Wow. Now you can buy one, you can buy them over the counter one a day. Yeah. So, and, and no limit, just buy another one. You can buy another one. Well, good for them. Wow, they're, yeah. they're trying to kill some. Yeah. Deer. That's a, that's actually maybe a step. No, we, I think we get to kill five and they changed it where you could shoot all five in one day if you want to, but five was the limit. Uh, Alabama used to be a deer a day for yeah. a 90 or hundred days, whatever it was for a long time. Yeah. Actually 105 days. I think it was. So they changed it now. And I think they limit you to five days. But I'll have to look and see. Overall, um, you know, people can't complain about their state agencies and no. their federal agencies at all because they are doing – I see it in fishing. You know, I've 
I've been fishing professionally for, you know, 33 years. This is my, I announced my last season this year, but, wow. um, these are the good old days in bass fishing. I mean, these lakes and are, and they're not making more of them. We have, you know, arguably less water today than we, we did years ago, but state biologists, anglers themselves, um, a lot of different, uh, clubs and conservation groups they're doing, you know, we do, we did a lot this year just through our foundation of habitat programs, stocking programs, cleanup programs. Um, you know, the awareness and the, the transferring of knowledge has, has carried over in the fishing world in a big way as well. And, and it has in the hunting community for sure. You know, I mean, just the, the way that I've watched in the last couple of years of how the, the, the turkey community, you would call it, people mm-hmm. that are they're passionate about turkey like you guys are around the country, all getting together and starting to collaborate and, and research and figure out what's going on because there's, there's definitely something happening um, out there in, in a lot of areas where the turkey numbers are down. I mean, yes. I have a place in Kansas that I go that – I mean, you could go there in deer season in the fall and there'd be 250 turkeys in the field. Wow. Now there's not a turkey there, not one. Wow. On the same piece of ground. Yeah, that's scary. That really is. We we talk about it a lot here. We probably yeah. tilt, tilt the scales almost too much to turkeys, in, but it's our hearts in it down here. And there's 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 a lot going on. And I think what we're starting to well, find out is it is it is a complex issue. There's eight or ten or twelve issues actually, not one or two. And it morphs geographically depending on where you are. It's different. And Oklahoma is having a tough time. It's different than you know whatever Florida or kansas or you know every state's a little different makes it more complex is michigan dealing with wolves at all um we don't have them in the lower part our wolves are coyotes yeah (laughs) and we do have you know again they're so adaptable they're so good at living in close proximity to to people and around houses and things like that that uh, when i was a kid we didn't have any coyotes in southwest michigan now i mean we have it's unbelievable, you know, but it, even in my area, it's, it hasn't really, the coyotes haven't affected, like it's not decimated the turkey population. Mm-mm. And when I was a kid, we didn't have turkeys. They, they actually, in my exact area, the piece of the property that I hunted on as a kid, as a teenager deer hunting was the first place that they transplanted turkeys back into the, into our area. Wow. And I was like 16 at the time, and within four years we had a season. So it's a great conservation story what they were able to do with with turkeys, just, not just right there, but kind of really they did that kind of all over the uh, all over the state. Mm-hmm. And and we're we're in a I think a pretty dang good place with them. Oh so, yeah. So everybody knows your fishing prowess. I mean, you've you've won it all, but many many times listening to to you talk about hunting I, I that twinkle that i was mentioning i see it oh yeah but tell me something that would so our, for our audience that just would just say how possessed <laughs> uh, uh, obsessed you are with with it, deer hunting it's it's not just me it's uh my whole friend group um the, a lot of the a lot of my friends that Your i kids. grew up with my <laughs> kids yep. yep um so i've kind of came full circle you know when i was young I was gung ho. I mean, we used to be a four buck state. You could you could kill two bucks with a bow and two with a gun. And I may I mean I killed my four bucks every year. You know, I mean we just and you just learn. And the whole, you know, 
post-shot analysis with your friends and trophy hunting and that. It got to the point for me that it wasn't near as fun anymore. And when my kids were born um, and, you know, I, I started to get them into the outdoors as a whole, not just hunting, but fishing. And in Michigan, you had to be, uh, you have to go through a hunter safety program. And at their time, they had to be 10 years old. There was no youth seasons or anything like that. So we went through that whole process. And when I started my boys back in hunting, again, we started shooting bows when they were, obviously they were around it because of me. But um, just that whole process re-energized and reinvigorated me. me, You know it did me the same. Me personally. I mean, I I could care less if I wanted to shoot one. I was was with my son when he killed his first buck ever with a bow. I mean, in the stand with him, you know, I mean. Mm Um, I've had so many people on our place that I've brought out there to, to harvest does where it's the first time, their first experience deer hunting their first deer. And just to see, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate to be able to hunt some good places and, you know, I've traveled to Canada and Texas and Kansas and Illinois and a lot of great places to hunt whitetails. And, and I've, I've been, you know, successful in a lot of places, but it's, more exciting for me to watch a new hunter or somebody like that, this, that, that thrill for them. And I've, I've got some friends that are older that they're just getting into hunting now. And it's the same thing to see the excitement when a four point walks out, you know, to them, it just, it it just made me realize that, Hey, the way we were looking at it and what, you know, that how serious we were and how much pressure we put on, you know, not shooting anything that's, you know, in the out of the age structure or making a mistake in any way, it doesn't matter. You can't, it took the fun out of it. And, you know, that was important. So, I mean, when you want to get kids into the outdoors period, whether it's bass fishing or uh, fishing in general or, or hunting of any kind, you got to make it fun for them. I mean, you don't want to take them out the first time and take them deer hunting and make them sit all day in a, in a, in a, in the rain or anything like that and not see anything. Kids need action. So you don't take them bass fishing. You take them to the pond where they can walk around. They can throw rocks and chase frogs. They can catch bluegills because to a kid, a four-inch bluegill is a big fish. And eventually, after they catch a lot of those, they'll get, you know, that excitement will wear down and they'll want to spend the extra time to try to catch a bigger fish and then maybe go after a bass and then or a catfish or whatever it is. So it's so important to to show them action. To, for them to see things. So that's why, you know, starting out squirrel hunting or rabbit hunting is a, is a great way to go. Or duck hunting is a, uh, I love to duck hunt because it's social. I mean, mm-hmm. it, deer hunting is awesome, but you're basically sitting there by yourself or you you might be in a box blind with somebody else or whatever. But for the most part, it's, it's a solo kind of, of deal where being able to go, you know, with four or five guys and and set in the woods, duck hunting behind a tree or in a blind, it, there's it's pretty special. You yeah. know, I mean, we do a big deer camp at our place every year before opening day, and that's uh, it's a huge tradition in Michigan where I live. And uh, I haven't missed an opening day. And and I'm believe me, I'm a passionate bow hunter, but opening day of gun season is it's a it's a it's, it's a holiday. Your, for it's us. in your blood, yeah. I mean, I've been my, my dad took me when I was a kid. Wow. You know, and it's, I just remember those times. It's, it's a tradition that, you know, Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, upstate New York, that happens every year 
for you know the firearms opener, the schools close. Yeah. I mean, t- towns pop up. I mean, if if they miss that two week season, you know, in those areas in the northern parts of the state, I mean that that business that they get from the influx of those hunters, um, it, it would be detrimental to a lot of those business owners. So it's until you've experienced it, it's it's hard to truly understand. I mean, I've got to you know go and spend a lot of time and in, in hunt in Texas and and I I have a lot of friends in the South and Alabama and that and and I get that everybody's passionate about it but it's a I don't know I think what what we do is pretty unique and it, it's dang sure special to me your daughter's been begging you to hunt since her little brother shot the big eight last year you've ran a fire dissed the fields got stuck got unstuck planted food plots fertilized and prayed for rain you moved trees limbed roads even bought one of those fancy cell cameras so what's your excuse ls tractor moultrie has pioneered the game management category Today, Moultrie is one of the best-selling brands of feeders and seeders in the world, and they continue to innovate with new technology that gamekeepers will rely on. Moultrie products are always field-tested and designed for hunters by hunters, combining forward-thinking innovation with time-tested practicality. Moultrie, first in feeders since 1979. All right, so guys, Moultrie is offering our listeners a 15% site-wide discount at MoultrieFeeders.com. Use code MOSSYOAK with a capital M, MOSSYOAK, at MoultrieFeeders.com and get that 15% discount. When I was at Sarah Lee Corporation, one of the sister companies was Hillshire Farms in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Very famous meat brand. The Berniger family, you know, Mark lives here. And raise his kids here. But um, they were telling the story about Mr. Berniger. Every year, they would shut the plant down for the one week of deer season. And finally, one year, he was like, we can't do this anymore. It costs so much money to the operation and everything. So he laid the ultimatum. We're opening up Monday morning. You know, I know. It, I think they, if, I may be wrong, So, but this is what I remember. Saturday through Sunday, so like maybe nine days, but it was a week basically for deer season. And so we said, Monday morning, this plant's going to be open. And if you're not here on the production line and at work, you're going to lose your job. And he laid a gauntlet down because it was just, you know, plus I think it's because they were owned by another company and kind of had to, the pressure was on. So again, this is what I remember him telling me. I hope it's right. I'm pretty sure 40% of the workforce showed up for work. 60% said, I quit if you don't let me take off of the first week of deer season. And he had to renege on the whole thing and go back on what he said and say, okay, it's okay to take off the first week of deer season. That's, That's how powerful they love it in that part of the world. That's my story from that, you know, northern whitetail. Uh, we think that the world revolves us around in the south and how much we love to deer hunt. I mean, everybody loves it everywhere. So back in the day, how long were the seasons there in Michigan? Just a week or two? So our our gun season has been the same forever. Firearms is November fifteenth to November thirtieth. It's it doesn't they don't open on a Saturday. Two weeks. It's, it's whatever yep. the fifteenth is. So every year it's a, you know it's a Monday. It's a, then it's a Tuesday. Then it's a so it's it's kind of crazy because like Missouri does it always the second Saturday in November, right? right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of places do that and. The way our um, state biologists 
think it would be way better from a, a, a number standpoint of just what the overall um, amount of deer that would be be killed during deer season would be better if you let people hunt to, you know, all yeah. the weekends. Yeah, more add more weekends. And I'm but thinking the more, tradition is so strong with that's those dates. Cool, that's why they haven't changed it. Yeah, and you would you would uh, you would bring more economy to the state too for more weekends. But uh, that's pretty cool that they won't do it because of tradition. What's the when's the rut there? We're mid November rut, so so I mean, it opens well right. Timed. It opens right at the, yeah. So the peak the peak breeding period phase and and our where I live in Southwest Michigan, I would tell you, I mean, the key is the sixth through the twelfth when the majority of the does come in estrus and actually are bred. But it is there's still a lot of them on the fifteenth. I mean, it's oh still, yeah, you don't want to be right in the middle necessarily yeah. either. So yeah, wow, it's wide open when your season opens. It's. It's still it's still really good. See, I mean, ours ours never has. I've never some. There's a couple of states like that, but ours in Alabama's where I grew up hunting. It was a long time before the yeah. rut. You know, from when the season opened in Alabama, where Bobby grew up, the rut was late January. Yeah, so you so, you had to pace yourself, or you yeah. burn yourself out. Bobby. That's right. We um, I I love that week right around October 25th to November Thanksgiving. 2nd. Thanksgiving and. Well, Thanksgiving. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Pre rot, pre rot. When there's when those bucks are just, um, you know, by us they're they're running scrapes like crazy then, and you just uh, that's that's just a, um, it's there's never a bad time around then, but that's a really I so like that before they're you like before pre, they get locked down. Yeah, you like pre rut better than post rut. Yeah, they can both be pretty good. Just depends on how good your biologic is. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got a really. A, a unique place there that you've got turkeys, deer, and waterfowl, and you've got springs. Oh, we've got, uh, you know, I've got a lot of fresh water on there. I mean, uh, I was really fortunate to to buy a piece of property that I actually grew up and went to school with two friends of mine. They owned it. I played on it as a kid, and it has these, it's the headwaters to um, to a major trout stream and actually salmon run from Lake Michigan right to where they can't swim another inch in the, wow. there. And um, so it's got a lot of water on it um, and it's good bottomland, good soil. So there's, you know, the, the native habitat forage is, is really good. And, and we did a lot. I mean, it was not, when I got it, first got it, you could see once the leaves fell, you could see 200 yards through the woods. It was wow. just open. And I hated to do it, but we, um, we, I logged it and we, did it real well. And we, we initially started by just doing small little one acre to two acre little clear cuts where I just drop the trees and try to, you know, we hinge cut them or pile them into one little area and try to create little bedding areas, but it just wasn't enough overall. Um, and so now after, you know, managing the timber for quite a few years in different phases, and then obviously uh, food plotting as well, just trying to, you know, we've got a lot of ag around us anyways, big ag for beans and corn, so they do well from that already, but creating the sanctuary cover and a good food source where those does would just stay locked in to a, a small area because we got to protect them by us. I mean, during the rut, I can't keep them from walking, but if I can have a lot of does there and that they're not necessarily walking um, out of the perimeter that way and, and going someplace where they're going to be in harm's way because there's so many tracks, small tracks uh, around us. So 
Yeah, we're, I mean, I'm sure we we don't save them all, but you know, last year we had a we had a pretty special uh, opening day. You know, for older deer, it's hard to do in Michigan to to do what we were able to do then. Um, so but, our age structure is the best it's ever been, and it's it's awareness from a lot of people, but especially for what we're doing. So think about the year after you bought the place. You're oh, yeah. all excited about this, and how long ago was that? Oh gosh, it's probably been um, man. Well, my boys, twenty years for wow. sure. Probably twenty. It, you you wouldn't even recognize it. Well, so I wanted to ask you about like <laughs> body weights, average body weights then, average body weights now, antlers in terms of inches then now. Oh yeah. What, how can what kind of improvement have you seen? Night and day. So on the antler inches, I mean it's it's <laughs> ungodly the difference, you know, because but it's not just me. It's co-op with all the neighbors, right. you know, understanding yep. QDM, and uh, we're all kind of on the same page and working together, and we're all we're all doing a lot of the habitat improvements and things. It's it's really come full circle, um, and the overall body weights are better because our age structure's way better than it used to be. You know, and when I started, the majority of the harvest in, in my area, ninety percent was year and a half old deer, you wow. know, and now. So sad. Um, yeah, so now you know we're we're hunting, you know, 3, 4, 5-year-old deer is what we're what we're targeting. So they're getting a free pass as a yearling by most people. I mean, it's still some of that going on. Uh most of them are getting a pass at 2 and some of the best 3-year-olds are are getting unfortunately are yeah. But it's it's hard to tell somebody you know, when the biggest deer they've ever seen walks out in front of them, you know, and they've got 10 acres to hunt that they, they shouldn't yeah. shoot that deer. Sure. Right. Especially so, kids too. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, I've got first time hunters as well. And, you know, anybody that's, you know, we, we try to try to help them, but I'm, I'm not going to chastise somebody for, for making that mistake. We you try to explain all that. We do the best we can. And um, that's why it's best to have somebody to hunt with them if you can, you know, and, and try to teach them that as well. I mean, that's super cool to be because my boys have went from those kids early on to wanting to shoot everything that walks out in the field or when you're fishing, it's the same thing to, you know, to keep every, everything that you catch to now understanding, Hey, there, there's a lot more to, uh, being a gamekeeper and, and being a good, uh, steward, of the land and, and trying to have a healthy herd and manage these, not just for, for deer, but for all the, for all the wildlife that just how important it is. And, and honestly, I have to give a lot of that credit to some friends of mine that took me to Texas. And that's, that's where I learned how to age deer and about some of the, I mean, I learned that a long time ago and it's like, nobody was doing that by us. And I'd, I'd go and tell my friends at home and like, well, yeah, you know, here's a picture of this deer. Well, why didn't you shoot it? And I said, well, it was only a four-year-old. And they're like, what do you mean a four-year-old? You know, that's no mentality that anybody ever had by us. And now when I first, when I'm getting my Spartan photos and things, yeah, it's great to look at the antlers, but I'm, I'm looking at the facial features and the body and, and, you know, just trying to determine the age and I'm a lot better at it. I'm not as good as I thought because even, even a lot of the deer that I've gotten a lot of pictures and the, the video feature is so awesome. Like it's so much better than just getting a trail camera photo to, to really see, but it's, it's still not 
uh, you know, a hundred percent science to, to tell the age of a deer, you know, but if you got the history of them and they got a unique rack or you can find the sheds and things and, um, it, that's hard to do by us. I mean, our tracks are, are still fairly small, but we, we take it serious. It's, it's myself and my friend group and our boys all grew up together and doing it. I mean, it's something that we're thinking and working on 365. It's, you know, it's, it, we talk about it a lot. It's just the observations from listening to him is that um, it became as much importance and as much fun, the process than oh. actually the killing. Although, you know, look, we're hunters and we're all, never going to get past that, that, uh, you know, exhilaration, that thrill of killing a big deer. But, you know, and then that spreads to all his neighbors, quite honestly, some of the best places that I've ever seen or heard about in the country weren't necessarily huge tracts of land, but it was cooperatives. So you actually had more intensive management because every whatever, 50 or 100, 200, 300, whatever acres had its own person watching out and doing the stuff as long as they would cooperate together. And, you know, just like somebody's going to shoot one every now and then they shouldn't and whatever, you know, what it's not worth is taking the fun out of it by looking down your nose at people doing that. I mean, you can show them yeah. the light of the fact that, uh, you know, what you're doing on your place. And if they want that, they'll be willing to sacrifice and let the deer grow up. But you know what? Some people are thrilled. And so good for you for not like condemning. In whatever, no, you, you don't, know, it's you just, don't. you can't take the fun out of it doing that. But I was going to make one more observation is that, um, you know, it's funny how you learn from your kids. And I remember one of the early podcasts you had Daniel in here, and he talked about how critical it was in a life outdoors to maintain your sense of wonderment, which is like a heart of gratitude type thing. And I'm so big on, and you watch, it's like, he's, he talks about all this. And it's, you know, now that he's become a full fledged 24, seven, 365 game paper, he has that sense of wonderment of a kid talking about all this and raising them and doing the right and getting the family and getting friends involved and all the traditions. It's like you never, I mean, your year is so full of enjoyment and everything when you live that cycle, you know, and it's, and it's, you know, face it, we're tied to nature and earth in the seasons of the year. Cause there's something now to look forward to every season. Well, let me, let me just tell you this. And, um, you know, I've been, a professional bass fisherman for 33 years, right? On tour. And even this last season that I had, I, I'm, I learned so much every single time on the water still. And it's the same, um, you know, I've been food plotting, I told you for 40 plus years, and I still learn a ton every year. Right. I, I mean, the Drury's are a good friend of mine. I, I'll, I'll talk to Mark and Terry and Matt and say, look, man, I'm seeing this or, or, this is the weather I got, or you know what, what about, have you tried this particular blend or this is my soil? I mean, as much as I've learned and known and as much information as you've got, and you know, you can look up on a app and, you know, read in the magazine and, and watch videos on and stuff. There's no substitute for ex the time on the water or the time in the woods. And it's always changing. You know, I mean, we're dealing with things that we never had, like my, a lot of my property, has a ton of ash on it, like millions of ash trees. Well, the emerald ash borer came up there, killed every single one of them. Wow. And it it just, which was actually kind of a blessing in disguise because it it opened up a lot of light 
to the forest floor right. and ash has really got not really much you know nutritional value or much value to no. to deer anyways Mm-mm. so it was it was kind of a, a, a that was one thing another thing that's been real bad for us is those gypsy moths so mm-hmm. they'll go through and in July they'll go be a whole oak forest and they're in a leaf one i mean they'll eat it to where it looks like it's november wow and it's the, killed it's killed a lot of the oak trees it has killed the trees it's wow two years of it in a row now wow. i i've lost about oh not a third but not a quarter but you know wow that's a lot of oak trees i didn't realize old trees we get them around here but they don't spread that they're not that widespread it's 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 mind-boggling yeah and most of the time i've showed dully when i was raising some trees and and it would eat all the leaves up it would just be like a spider web left of the little veins on a leaf and he was saying Yep. You know, of course, I'm, I've got something that I'm growing and I've got it's irrigating. And he said, it'll come back. Don't worry about it. And they always have. But I hadn't seen them actually they, kill trees. We've had a couple of guys uh, email us photos from the Delta this year asking what was going on. And it was – that's what was going on. Gypsy moth. Yeah, wow. yeah, big, big chunks. Yeah, they'll – they'll, um, they've, they've regenerated – but some of those trees, after the stress of it, we had another drought year this right. year. Yeah, that's the hard part, the drought and is at the same time. The extra stress on the trees, it's it's killed a lot of them. I mean, you can drive down the road to, to my house, and every, whatever, 300 yards, there's an oak tree that you, that you couldn't wrap Man. your arms around, and it's Oof. there ain't a le- it's dead now. I am an oak tree lover. Imagine that. I, yeah, and I mean, <laughs> not just because of the name came from that. No, I just, I just have always been in love with oak trees. And I think part of it is getting programmed as a kid. My earliest hunts, I've told this a million times, was squirrel hunting with daddy. So, you know, it was all about finding oak trees and studying oak trees in the woods and everything. So I just have always been obsessed in love. You know, when the nursery started me growing oak trees in the backyard, that's sad that when you see a, it's such a work of art, a mature canopy, you know, producing lots of mass oak trees, such a work of art by God. I hate to see it. You know, and I, it can happen with any parts of nature. They can blow over in a storm, but I hate to see something kill them. Yeah, it just it breaks my heart. Well, that's the things that you know we're constantly going to have to uh, to look at and deal with. And you know, I tell you this: I've been around, you know, lived in the outdoors my whole life, made my living on the water. Is Mother Nature always wins? Always. It's crazy what all there is to try to take away. <laughs> you what can we, do. we can try to manipulate a lot of things, and I don't and know. It looks like to. you've won a lot. If you well, had a lot, a lot of things in, in those fishing tournaments. Well, you if you watched my nation. last event of the year on Saginaw Bay on the final day, I was leading going in, and she shifted and she won that day. So wow. yeah, we we were cheering for you. We were all watching <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, it's uh that's the that's the thing. I mean, what what we try to do as as a as a gamekeeper, all of us together, is we really try to help her and enhance the, the, what she's already doing and, and just be a good steward out there for what's going on every day, you know, to, and I guess, you know, maybe we have a, a little bit of our own agenda involved, but I want to, there's, there's nothing like watching out there and seeing a group of Toms all strutting there in the early spring or, you know, in the, in a summer food plot, looking out in a bean field and seeing six or eight bucks out there standing there together. I mean, we, we all, that's what we're all trying to, maximize that as as much as possible or when you go out in the water you know you want to you know we want to catch not three bass we want to catch 10 right right so i mean there's something to be said 
what's really special, uh, you know, we all have to, you know, we work hard, we've got jobs, you, you got to make a living, you're raising your family, you're doing things, but what is that gives you that personal satisfaction and enjoyment and what makes life really unique and special is how awesome the time is together in nature, oh. on the water, in the woods. Um, the pandemic taught us that a lot of people that had forgotten that, just how great it is to be outdoors and to be with with people that you love, with family, with with your wife, with your kids. Um, and it, it brought a big resurgence back to every outdoor activity, no whether it's you know, morale hunting in the spring to to hunting or or fishing yep. or kayaking. Um, you know, people got you know, we all get caught up in our world and work and things like that. And that's just that's what is special to me about being a gamekeeper. Because believe me, I spend way more time, three times the amount of time on all the other stuff than I actually do ever with a, a gun or a fishing rod in my hand. I spend a lot more time not, you know, and that's the process that I love. It's hard to say because you don't want to ever talk uh, and be elitist about it or point fingers or whatever, but if people would just taste the joy, the satisfaction, the sense of wonderment and all those things that you, when you kill a deer or you, whatever, ducks, a big gobbler, whatever, and you know you had a hand in growing them instead of just like going somewhere and shooting one. And I'm not putting anything else down, but I'm just saying if you taste that uh-huh. and then you, you know, by the grace of God, you have, doesn't have to be that you actually own the place, but you've got a place to then work on in your life's work to be able to do that. There's nothing like it. And I hear people say all the time that finally could, I remember the transformation of Cuz a long time ago and he killed his first deer on his place that he owned himself. And he said, I never dreamed I could go kill a big buck on a place I didn't have to either pay or go beg permission to go hunt there. And so, you know, that's one reason I think why we got into every facet of the outdoors in business is that our mission, as I said earlier today on the podcast, was connecting human beings with nature. That's what we do as a brand. Is hunting in the epicenter of that? 100%. Because we don't believe without hunting, you know, you can't manage wildlife properly too. But uh, anyway, just having that whole journey in life has helped you realize more and more that people need all these things and the the greatest blessing is having the dirt yeah you know so you know so i'm not wanting people to tune out because they can't buy some land you can find somewhere to work on yeah and don't judge it by what kevin's got or what bobby's got or what i've got just do it for the joy of you and the land and the critters telling you if we can give people more value in their life as quick as it passes then yeah. I think the job accomplished with Mossy Oak. And uh, listening to Kevin talk about it should inspire so many people because then he gets such a full life out of sharing, doing this stuff and sharing it and have his family. You know, that's the thing about land. I, the biggest thing about owning a place is like it's a, it's the glue for your family. Oh, it's... 100%. You know, I, you don't have to be a big place. Bobby's got the place of his over there now. <laughs> I, I know I have a lot of friends that, again, just because of how it is around there, I mean, if it's 10 acres, it's, right. it's 10 acres. But I'll promise you, when you have something like that, you can do such, you know, you can put such a focus on it and and, and yes. really do uh, an amazing job. I One of my best friends bought a, a place a couple of years ago, and it's, you know, 
it, it's his dream farm. You know, it's not in the greatest area around surrounding area. It's, you know, less than 88, 75 acres, 73 acres. Right. And he has transformed that into a virtual little paradise for the wildlife that he's got there. I mean, it's loaded with turkeys. It, it, it deer, it was so open that deer would never live on there. They just would walk through. And, and now, I mean, he's got switchgrass planted to, for cover and, and food plots and he timbered it all off and he's created water holes. And I mean, and the amount of time that he spent, but, but it's not the time it's the personal, it's the pride in, in doing the work yourself and seeing the improvements and, and seeing the change that, that makes it, that's what's fun about it. I oh, mean, yeah. I, I love the process. Um, one of my favorite things is to jump in the tractor, or the skid steer and just go tear stuff up, you know, knock, knock down brush and trees and <laughs> Tonka toys. Yeah. I mean, I, we, me and my brother-in-law, Russ and, and my brother-in-law, uh, he's, he's my partner in crime. I mean, him and I, um, grew up as hunting partners, you know, once, once I married my wife, we've hunted a lot together. We've traveled a lot to a lot of places. He helped me with twin boys. It's not easy to get them both out at the same yeah. time. I mean, through, through their whole, uh, early career, I mean, he'd sit with one, I'd sit with the other so we could always have them out or whatever. And, um, you know, we, we have uh, been through a lot and seen a lot together and, and that, that's a big part of it. You, you know, Man. so you don't have to have a huge place. But um, we both, both of us love, and he, he's real bad about tearing up equipment because it's mine, not his. <laughs> I, I resemble that remark. <laughs> so let me ask, and uh, Dudley looks like just walked in. So Dudley, we're glad you made it. Come on in here and join us. And it sit. smells like smoke for some That's reason. Right, yep. Yeah, I need to give y'all a report in a minute. So Kevin, I want to ask you, uh, both from a hunting perspective and from a fishing perspective, is there a deer that haunts you? Is there one that got away that when you close your eyes, you could still see him and you think, boy, if I'd have done this, I, boy, it's the biggest one I ever saw. Mm-hmm. Anything like that? Uh, yeah, I've had, I've had a few over the years. So uh, I have one that I saw in Manitoba one time and I, I found a shed. So it looks similar to what's laying on the table right Ooh, there. Yeah, that, uh, and that's a big one. I, yeah, I saw this deer from a distance one year, you know, and then. I mean, I, after that, I was obsessed. You know, the following year, we looked for that deer. We found a sign, um, but I never, uh, I've got a shed from him, but I mean, I've never, uh, never reconnected with him. And the the problem is, is it's pretty hard to get to Manitoba for more than a week a year. We're, we're around me. Um, you know, we've, we've been fortunate to be able to have some, some pretty cool deer. And last year we had a double drop tine, non-typical show up on camera. And my neighbor, who's a great gamekeeper, we uh, one of the reasons we have the hunting that we do and the success that we do is because we're all in alignment. We share pictures. We we t- show, you know, hey, this this is a young deer that we'd really you know like to uh, let go or whatever. I mean, so we're we're all on the same page about what we do. He's doing all the same things that I'm doing, and he saw this deer the same time as I did, and we were both. Uh, hunting him hard but to have a double a matching double drop tine deer uh trophy deer you know uh is a one in a million it's a unicorn and man i spent a lot of time 
as uh, soon as I saw, got pictures of him, I knew that was going to be the the deer I was after. I sent you pictures you of him. I showed them to you. And um, I I've had him in bow range like two or three times. My son, Nicholas, had him had him run underneath a tree chasing a doe. I had him pegged. I, I called him in, and he stopped at 40 yards, and I just did not want to take that shot where he was quartering towards me. Wow. I know I can make that shot, but on that deer, I did not want to risk it. And then my neighbor ended up killing him the next morning, which I was super happy for him because, again, he puts in more, way more time and effort than, than I do. And he's just as passionate about it. And he's, I mean, he, he works really hard on it and he, he deserved it as well. And, uh, you know, what's the deer as big as you thought he was? He, he ended up, yeah. He, he, I don't know that he was old as any of us thought, but he's just such a unique yep. deer and a lot of mass. And it, you know, he was in the, upper 150s um, yeah and he wasn't done yet so yeah i mean it's a deer i even i couldn't pass i mean he's a, a one in a million and to have that and i've killed a few drop tying deer i killed one in canada i've killed one in kansas um you know i've i've got a few but not like this that have matching double drops it right. was a really special and your you know your neighbor getting that buck uh considering that you guys are in cahoots and you're working together i mean it's like you've got one place and well, but you know he reminds me of dr chamberlain in fact they have so they get so much more fun out of their deer season he's in a club talking about being in a club but he literally describes to us like there's it didn't used to be this way they've kind of grown out of there's not a bunch of jealousy running to get this stand mad because I can't hunt here. Everybody's so happy. I think because they got a group and they all feel like they've done, you know, it's not like Mike killed the big 10 that scored 170. We got him at our club, right. you know, yeah. and there, he said there really is almost no. That's just, that's the way it is for us. Yeah, and that's really what I'm is. saying. That where you, what you have is it, it honestly, it's something to cherish when you have a group that you feel that way. Yeah. Because even in the company, you know, we have some people here, it's just like, oh my gosh, you killed another turkey. <laughs> and then some people, like, everybody's happy for them. And so, you know, we should be, you know, like everybody always hates on Bobby killing turkeys all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's, we deer are just, I, we well, deer are more special, you know? Taxi, yeah. is there a deer that haunts you? I mean, you've been hunting a long time. Honestly, no. <laughs> Not that's, really. That's pretty good. Mm-mm. I wouldn't say a particular deer, no. Kevin, have you ever reached for a – is there a fish that haunts you? you ever reached for a 15-pound oh largemouth and he got away? <laughs> There's, I've had a ton of them in my tournament career that I've – you Oh, know, gosh, I forgot about that, the, the tournament part of it. Yeah, you know, uh, lots of them, time and time again. I, I lost I lost one, and we had fishing a tournament in the Kissimmee chain. It was a spring tournament, and actually Dean Rojas broke the all-time five-fish record the first day of that tournament with like 45 for 46 pounds. Holy And that, that first day, it, it went from cold to warm, and I was on the north end of the lake, and I I was buzzing down the slick calm, and I saw one, a big glowing bed there with one sitting on it that looked like he was 30 inches long. And I'm like, oh, my God. And there was like 20 minutes to go in the tournament before I had to weigh in. And I, I started casting at it, and I could see right away that this fish was acting interested and I had a flipping stick with big line. And I, I mean, it didn't take me five minutes to get it to bite. And I set the hook and it come out of there and just went ballistic. And I mean, it was a 12 pounder it, for sure. Every, every bit of 12 pounds and uh, wow. it came off and I'm like, Oh my gosh. And the clock's ticking and this, I've got like 10 minutes to go and I'm just sitting there waiting. And it, I seen it swim back up there and swim through and it 
kind of ghosted back by again. And a couple, three minutes later, here it comes and sets right back on the bed. Again. Oh my gosh. And wow. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I picked up a different bait and started casting, started working her, started blah, blah, blah. And I'm down to like looking at the clock going, and I'm a mile from the ramp from check-in so I can be there. And I got it to bite again and hooked it and got it all the way to the boat and it came off again. And I, and I lost, I mean, and the way the tournament worked out, the weather changed and all that. And I had a real good finish there, but I mean, if I'd have caught that 12 pounder the first day, it might've been a whole different event, you know, I'm double heartbreaker. Oh, it was, wow. you know, everybody's got the one that got away or, you know, big deer, they're always the most elusive or, you know, how often do you think that you, you can hook a fish and that, that you could tell that that fish, do you think it's maybe they have the, the bait, maybe it's a jig or a worm. They didn't quite get the hook oh, and just hanging when, on and didn't feel the hook. When they're spawning, and especially a fish like that, I mean, they're they have a it's, their mouth isn't isn't easy to penetrate, anyways. Right. I mean, it's it's just yeah, they're not biting it be, to try to eat it and swallow it down their throat or anything like that. It was just bad luck more than anything. But um, so as much as you've fished and a lot of public water and stuff, do you ever just get to go get to go to a private pond somewhere and eight or ten acres and do you enjoy that as much oh at first for sure yeah i mean everybody likes to go to disney right yeah <laughs> do, you, do you help people manage some ponds and give them advice and stuff? um i for sure um have taught you know through social media and things like that i actually have a real uh close friend that that's what he does for a living um you know and i've and i've gotten to fish some some places you know bill dance a great friend of mine Bill's connected to a lot of people that, you know, have uh, private places here and there. And, you know, he's he's a great wealth of knowledge on that. And, of course, I mean, what we're doing as gamekeepers in the woods, people are doing the same in, in pond management. It's not it's not rocket science. It's about balancing your population of your, you know, your bluegills and your and your bait fish, yep. making sure the water is good and fertile. Like we were talking about the the golf course at the yeah at, right right over here. It is so productive; it's crazy. Well, you know, golf he courses. Said, he said golf fertilizer. courses everywhere because the fertilizer mm-hmm. is just pouring yeah. in there all the time. Yeah. So I got to say, forever when asked about the real estate part of things and buying land and whatever, I've I've often said from my journey, which has been whatever for almost thirty five years now, um, and the learning. Trial and error. It's like, so if you were going to buy a place, to me, to get that enjoyment, you hadn't had one before, especially the first thing I would do for me, build a pond. Because it's the one thing you can do, if it's not a real big track or whatever, is you can build it and do it right. And not only you can, you can't do this with ducks, you can't do it, you sure can't do it with turkey. You can share it with a bunch of people. In fact, it's probably better for it, as long as you're organized, to put the fishing pressure on it to manage the population. And then you... Your kids, if you got kids or grandkids, they can take their friends. They might camp out. The second thing I would say is if you can get some kind of place to stay on it or whatever, too. But I've always said, even I'm like whatever, the hunting guy in Mossy Oak and all, I said a pond would be the first thing to get 365 enjoyment out of your place. Well, and it's it's super beneficial for all the wildlife there, oh, too. Oh, no so, question. You no know, you question. have to have a good freshwater source for for all the birds the turkeys the you know quail ducks deer rabbits everything it's and and you're right the, one of the biggest things that a lot of people do when they have their own pond is not take enough fish out exactly you, you can't you you can only have so many cows in a 10 acre pasture that's right and it's the same in a lake that, that you you can only have so much biomass and and 
bluegills are so productive in spawning and that, that I would tell people they'd be way smarter to never put one back in their own pond. It's just to take all of them out. I I've got a, Oh, two and a half acre pond in my backyard and it's all spring fed and it's clear. So I can see the fish real well. And we, we manage it as well as anybody. I cannot catch enough bluegills. I can't get enough people to catch enough bluegills out of it to keep up with the population on it. Now, bass, it's a different story. Um, you know, but you can really look at them and see the, by their, by their health. And, and of course there's a lot of, you know, great people, you know, that can help you manage, especially in the South. It's very popular up by us. It's not, but you can't anywhere from that standpoint, but there's, there's something special about having a place that you can go and take kids that have never caught a fish before and catch them till they get tired of it. And Mm -hmm. that's what, that's what ponds are great for. And you can clearly it's, I mean, even if you don't hire uh, a biologist and if, I mean, you can just talk to someone in your County, certainly resources everywhere. You can go buy a formula and almost a hundred percent guarantee results. If you and then you got a, the the hard part is what you talked about. Once you get there, to keep it there in the way you manage it. Then, but if you want to do it, I mean, even on a smaller pond, it's there to be done, and you can guarantee that kind of success. It's rarely, I mean, you can't control that kind of environment in hunting like that. No, it, especially it migratory stuff. So you can do that with a pond, and then again, that's that's why I think. You know, if you, it's amazing when you fly over now and or look at maps at how many just millions of ponds they are in mm-hmm. the country, well, everywhere. It doesn't take a very big pond to be really, really productive either. Nosler suppressors are made for hunting. Adding a Nosler suppressor to your rifle will make you a quieter, more accurate, and more effective hunter. Protect your hearing and disturb less game with a Nosler suppressor. The time to hunt quiet is now. Learn more at Nosler.com. The Furminator is the industry's most versatile piece of food plot equipment, allowing plotters to do every step of the process, working the soil, adding seed and soil supplements, and compacting. From start to finish, with a single implement, it's hassle-free by design. Set it for the seed size and simply drive the tractor, and the Furminator does the rest. Check it out at theferminator.com. What about fishing pressure? We, we've got a lot of ponds around here, and it, it seems like sometimes... Well, they, why aren't they biting? What's going on here? And it feels like maybe they've seen this before. Well, it can be a factor, especially if you have real clear water. And in the south, in the heat in the summer, they're going to, you know, they're going to go to some of the deeper areas and things like that. One of the best things you can do down here is fertilize the pond at the right times, which you guys, you sell it, you know, you got a we great do. fish fertilizer. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the timing is critical on that. And again, you can go to the Gamekeeper magazine yeah. and, and learn all of that real, real easy. Um, you don't have to have extra fish feeders. And fat fertilizers are way more valuable than fish food. It's way more valuable than fish food. It's it's starting at the, the you know, the at the plankton hole level. The bucket, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's that's where you can get the most for your... Well, that's just like you talked about your property and opening up for sunlight and increasing the carrying capacity of your place is way more important than the protein feed for the deer. Oh, so yeah. you got to start with what's the most important. Then if you want to feed them too, the great thing about the fish feeder is taking those kids and guaranteeing oh, yeah, them to really yeah, yeah. jerk them out of the water. No, what I'm saying, it's a, Oh, it's a great addition. It's, it's like going to having a good piece of 
that's got good native browse that's and then right. putting a food plot in there, you know, you're going right. to have a magnet for them where you're, that's where right. they're going to come. So a feeder is a great choice too. But if you're going to do just one simple thing, yes. fertilizing the pond is the, that's the foundational piece for sure. But you know, all of that is, is, is you don't have to do a whole lot in most ponds anyways. Mm-hmm. You really, you really don't. Catching the fish is a big part of it. The pressure, like you said, going back to, if it's clear, they do get, they can get real and they know like if they see you walking around and they can feel you walking around, but overall, um, we're not near as good at catching them as you, as you think. And and I've learned that thinking, I think I'm a pretty good fisherman. <laughs> well, I've gone out and fished places, a couple places. I've did this in Florida. I've done it in ponds before and then go with an electro shock boat and see what you missed. You know, it's, it's mind boggling. Yeah, Florida, yeah. Florida fish are the worst. Too. Oh, well, they can be, they can be fussy. They're so finicky. Yeah. But, yeah. but everybody's, you know, they want Florida strain. Uh, that's what we're, that's what we're stocking in a lot of places. You know, we're, you're seeing, uh, and they're, we're doing a lot, you know, like major league fishing with our, you know, fisheries management division. We're sampling every, during all season long on tour for the last few years, we scale sample every fish that's seven pounds or bigger anywhere in the country. Wow. And they're, and they're actually doing genetic testing to see the, uh, um, what their DNA is and, you know, how many of those are pure Floridas or they're mixed or they're Northerns or, you know, what exactly their genetic background is for it. And without fail, most of them, especially even, uh, we had one as far as Lake of the Ozarks this year, which is the furthermost that they've ever seen a hundred percent pure Florida native strain bass at Lake of the Ozarks in Missouri. So, and that's, that's a fish that for sure got stocked there. Wow. And so, you know, everybody wants to catch bigger fish, right? So that's why they're, they're doing a lot of this, but that research is helping everybody else saying, well, Hey, yeah, we can, we can actually, this can make a difference, you know, in these regions. Um, or, you know, if we've got Florida's, it can enhance the overall population or the genetics to, to everything that's there. So science, you know, what's going on with, with, with like what he's describing, what uh, these universities like Mississippi state and some others are, you know, all the state universities are doing tons of research. We're highlighting a lot of this, what we can on the gamekeeper show. It's really amazing how yeah. science yeah. has permeated its way into the wildlife industry. They've come a long way. Biology, science, and conservation all coming together. Oh, 100%. And it's, you know, I grew up listening to people watch. Everybody loves to have a theory, and I have theories all the time. But then what you've got to be so careful about is making theories the law. I mean, yep. you talk to biologists that are really smart, and they're always skeptical about any anecdotal information, no matter how strong it is, until it's been actually vetted in the research process so when they get there boy you got some great information they're they're learning so much just think what we know today that they didn't when like i was a kid or dudley when you were a kid or when you were a kid i mean it's just amazing the information we have uh just the stuff we're able to talk about today this common knowledge to us that they had no clue about i mean we shot I mean, shooting a doe when I was a kid was like, you're banned for life. From yeah. hunting. What about <laughs> yeah. spikes? At one time, they were oh, encouraging yeah. to, oh, yeah. to shoot yeah. spikes. Yeah. And and now everybody knows that it, a spike is just a late fawn, and it can, yep. that sucker can grow into a booner. You know, I mean. It's, yep. They it's, had a spike that someone, uh, back when they could take them, way back when, I think Dr. Jacobson had the deer lab at State, and they, they had a fawn 
there was a spike the first year, and when it was five and a half, I think, it was either five or six, it was a true Boone and Crockett. Yeah, I remember that. Yep. Sure do. 170-inch plus mm-hmm. five-year-old. I, I hunted in Texas at a ranch where they encouraged you to shoot all the spikes that you saw, and then five years later – a hundred and eighty flip on that is like we they don't shoot no no bucks until they're at least right. three years old. Yeah, I've, I've often heard it's it's a you know everybody it, it multitude of things work great for different people. So, but I've always liked the idea of you know give them the three and a half to make sure. And yeah. if you don't like them, then if you're really convinced they're never going to make anything out of their stuff, then sure do it. But yeah. Uh, I think the Who thing knows? behind the, the spike deal is that in areas where you have a really high population yeah. of deer, where it's going to take one to two more years yes. for that spike yep. to catch up. So he may have to be a yeah. seven-year-old to yeah. be a monster well, I mean, compared to a five-year-old. The asterisk there is in a balanced herd, you right. let spikes go. In an unbalanced herd, they probably, you know, that's, that's their whole thought process. Right. The reality, even where I'm at, is you can't, shoot bucks for there's no such thing as a management deer where i live just because the population is so it, it's so skewed you just you don't you you can't you really can't never tell right um, so kevin we've talked about a lot of stuff yep what what should we be asking you i enjoy talking back and forth with like-minded people I mean, the people that have the same passions and thoughts and, and I mean, it's, it's a great way to learn. It's, you know, you share just because I think something is the best practice because we've seen that and learned it in Southwest Michigan. It's just like your fire. I am just fascinated, intrigued with wishing that I could find a way to control burn some of, I just, I just know how it, I've seen what it can do to re-energize uh, an area and for for wildlife, and I've seen it a little bit by me. They'll do some CRP, uh, switchgrass, or things like that after a few years, um, but I don't have that scenario. But I just I have some areas that I'd like. Man, I wish I could just get a bunch of regenerative growth. You know, yeah. just change. It's, it's tough in certain states, you know, to this day, and but hopefully that that can change mm. in the future. Well, it's it's. I would do it. It's just the terrain where I have and it being swampy. I just don't have any way to make a fire break there. You know, if we put a bulldozer, if you try to drive a bulldozer in my swamp, you'd lose it. Yeah. And then, and historically a swamp like that, you know, may have only burned every 50 years or a hundred years. Whereas where we're burning up the road, you know, 200 years ago, it probably burned every other year. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just it's unique because I've I've seen um, you know some of the burn areas out west and things like that. I mean it's it's natural, right? It's sure. Mother Nature does it anyways. But to again, just like we were talking as a gamekeeper to you know enhance or to help Mother Nature along, it would be I would just love to see what I could do for um, just creating a, a whole new you know set of brows and, and just habitat that. Um, would re-energize a lot of these old woods. I mean, just watching what happened when all those ash trees died on my place. There's, I've got briar patches growing in the in the where there hasn't been a briar in a hundred years. He, yeah, he, he, you weren't here, but the ash borer hit him and wiped out every one of his ash trees. So thousands. So three or four summers ago, I was traveling through like Ohio and and yep. New York and PA. You see it everywhere in the and, summer. You know, I mean that's the. 
everything's a blessing. I mean, it's a blessing. I, and I a think curse. it's, yeah, it's, uh, a, but you know, we have let a lot of our forests just get overgrown over the years. And, and I hate that an invasive insect had to come and do that and set it back. And, you know, a lot of people lost timber value, but man, the cover. Yeah. It's uh, been, it's been a, a godsend for us for sure. The food and the cover, all at that first, early successional at first it stuff. wasn't, but boy, it, it really, it is now it's, you got to look at the good, yeah. you know, we had a tornado F five tornado go through my place, uh, a dozen years ago, um, a mile and a quarter wide of destruction, but, uh, you gotta, you gotta make lemonade and, yeah. uh, man, there were deer all, you know, it was like a big cut over yeah. you know, for five or six years. And so, and, and, and nesting too. Yep. Kevin, I can't imagine what it must be like to go up there and go hunting with you. <laughs> Toxie, I know you didn't get to go this year. Something came up, oh, but I'm next coming. year you gotta go. I think we got to reel him down here. He just hadn't had much time. He's going to have time to visit and travel and come to camp and stuff more. I think I might could reel him into a couple of days of duck hunting as much as anything that he has everything else. So he has some duck hunting, but I think I might could, especially down here, um, a really fun time at home where we're sitting in West Point is that right before Christmas is the rut will be wide open and Typically, by then, we have a good many ducks, too, so you can mix them together. Well, that's the beauty of where I live, to, that our seasons are different enough where you can you can experience a rut twice or you can experience okay. turkey season twice, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, see, our our turkey season, the best time is mid-May. I don't, we didn't even open until the last week of April. Right. And it's done in the south in a lot of places, so... I know that's like paradise. I know that's part of why he likes to come is like, well, he's already done in Ohio and every place else. And then you come there and it's like the leaves, the trees are just leafing out and you get to experience it all over again. Old Bob Dixon used to say he would pack up when our season was over and head to Indiana or Michigan. He's somewhere every year. He had, you know, he was had so many friends. He'd say like, it is amazing. It's like getting to go back in time two months. (laughs) And of course, everybody just here just lives for that very first spring the very first things are budding and blooming and gobbling and and all of that's just it's just magic and it's actually the whole spring is but the very first emergence of it and to go wow to be able to go see it again yeah it's very addictive it's a great time to be in the woods even before turkey season starts it's an awesome time to be in the woods for me it's always been and that's probably maybe why I'm different is I've always, it's tournament season then. So I'm always gone or whatever, but it is, it's really awesome. Like I, when I got home this year and it was after a couple of weeks on the road or whatever, and I come and get up in the morning and grab a coffee and go on to my deck and it's sun's popping up and it's quiet. And you just hear the Tom's just, you know, they're still in the winter flock or early in the March by us. And, but they're just going off and then they're, you know, they come out and there's, you know, 12 of them strutting together. I mean, it's a sight to sight to behold. Wow. It's a good feeling. Oh, it's, you know, that's why we do it. So, Kevin, right now, this week, we've got to tell the Gamekeeper Television Show is about you. This airing on the Outdoor Channel and some of the other apps around. So that was a really good show. We've had a lot of good feedback. So, guys, it'll it'll cycle back around. It's a good show. Oh, well, the Mossy Oak Go app is a great place to go. And, I mean, it's a great place to look for content from you know food plotting to i mean you got you guys have such an incredible library of footage um you know way ahead of the way ahead of the curve i mean I've, that's one of the things that i saw you know at the very beginning of it i mean 
you think about the number of years of all the shows right. and you know hunting the country well, and today's whistling world, wings all of that good yeah, stuff people, people are especially it's funny how that younger crowd say 30 and under maybe 35 has gone to just loving stuff from before they were even born watch i mean you just pull this up and you can see it That's on right. your time when you want yep, it's yep. it's technology is pretty good it's for crazy they're it they're conditioned to they almost get insulted other than sporting events to like why would you watch something when it comes on i'm like it comes on at seven let's watch it and they're like what are you talking about i watch it when i want to <laughs> no that's just a different attitude about stuff you know like my poor dad at 93 he can't understand the fact that if he doesn't see it when it comes on at seven, he missed it. And I was like, don't worry. It's nothing that comes on. We can't pull back up and you can watch again. But he still, he's just programmed that way mm-hmm. and he can't change. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you what, I've enjoyed sitting here listening to you talk, yeah. uh, learning from you. I've, I've enjoyed following your career. Heck of a fisherman. And uh, you think so? It's just, it's just amazing. <laughs> it, it really is. That last week up there when that weather was turning, I had a tip I wanted to call you, but I didn't yeah. know how to get in touch. With you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it's going to be fun. You know, going forward in the future, I'm going to be doing a lot of uh, I'm going to be doing a lot of television, a lot of content. Um, you know, nowadays it's not you know traditional TV like it used to be. So, I mean, you got, yes. you got, we got stuff for social media, but we'll be doing a lot, a lot more gamekeeper stuff and, and things like that, you know, going forward. Well, so. our industry, hunting and fishing is very fortunate to have an ambassador like you. Big time. Cause it, it looks to me like, and I could be wrong, but you carry yourself. Every aspect I see about you is impressive. Well, yeah, I'm just going to brag for a second. No, you can't is. say it that is. about, no, I can't say is. that about Tyson. <laughs> no, but you know, we talked at lunch and I mean, but you, you look at the people that he picked through to kind of look up to and you talk about what's first on the list, Bill Dance. There's not a classier person that ever walked, you yeah. know? Yeah. Ever, and, and every time, ever. every time Hank has sat there, oh, all yeah. he's done is just, is just go it, to it, about, about. Is about yeah. Kevin. Yes. Yeah. Hank's pretty special guy too. I mean, he loves them turkeys as much as you guys oh, yeah. too. He may be, maybe more. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty good too. Uh, all all the guys that I grew up watching, Roland and Jimmy. I mean, mm-hmm. they are. I, I don't know, man. They're turkey fanatics. I guess I just when I was a kid, we didn't have any. You know, like I said, when I was a teenager is when it all happened. But I'm I'm learning, and uh, and believe me, we're working real hard at it. So you, I want you to. I'm very curious to. We'll have to get you guys up there and, and see what it's all about. Show you oh, what, show what, what what we're doing up there to try to help them at oh, least. Oh, yeah. No, they've got them. It's crazy. It's funny. I, I was going down the list of all those anglers and so many that love turkey hunting so much. And, and then there's Bill Dance who really doesn't care about it. But his thing was, he's like, hey, if you come up, I, I just want to go do – we're not going to film anything. I wanted to go take you with my favorite thing. What do you think his favorite thing is? Catfishing. Yeah. Hmm. He is obsessed and loves catfishing. Hmm. Isn't that cool? How about that? Yep. I remember when I was a kid, I saw him duck hunting on a TV show one time. Probably made him. <laughs> yeah. sponsor, that, that's how he could, fish the, he could fish the duck hole that way. <laughs> that's that's right. You got in here late, but have you got a question for? Well, I, I'm scared I'm going to ask something before. That's why I mean, we that have already, already we covered. Have but, Go, ahead. Uh, Go ahead. I'm really looking forward to you hopefully coming to the nursery and Checking on things, and uh, we can try to pick out some stuff that will work good in your area. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I look forward to every year, 
um, at Christmas is I get a Christmas present from this guy right here. And it's from the, it's, it's a, it's a dozen trees from the nursery and and it'll be four different, you know, oaks. And, uh, so I, I go and, and plant those. Fortunately, it's been nice where it hadn't been, the ground hadn't been frozen. And so they come and I'll go out and, and get them in the ground right away. And I'm, they're actually doing pretty good. Um, the deer around me, I've tried to put a protective cage around some of them and I haven't on all of them and I've had, I've lost a couple, but they, they take right off. I mean, they're, it, it takes, it's going to take a little bit of time, but you know, my kids are going to see the benefits of that, you know, for sure. And when, when I first bought the, where I live at right now, when we first got that property, my dad, you know, he's the one that bought the the property originally, and me and my brothers, we went out there, we planted a bunch of spruce trees, uh, we we got with a biologist, we planted some gooseberry, and you know, we we talked to him about different things that are going to be beneficial to wildlife. So we knew we needed thermal cover. That's why we did the spruces. We did these gooseberries for forage and for for cover. And when we planted those to what they are now, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's a it it's a it's a mecca. For yeah. deer, turkeys, wow. for blue jays, for cardinals, for rabbits, for woodchucks. I mean, we've just uh, so when you when you're first doing the work, it may not. It's like, oh man, what you know. <laughs> but down the road, I mean, the I, I every time I look at those trees, I think of that time when w- I was there with my dad and my brother, and all, you know, all of us out there doing that and that job you know i I don't know if you're like we are but you know in the past few years you know when you were planting those you were probably thinking deer yep and now that uh, we've gotten older we've been doing this gamekeeping thing uh it's just as cool to see a bunch of birds you know go into those gooseberries and hang out uh you know these migratory birds and try to figure out what they are it's, it just makes sitting in the deer stand that much more fun. I, I've got a uh, a box blind there, and I mean it is it's all day every day. You know, in the fall when it, when they've got those and they have a billion, not a million, a billion <laughs> berries on them, and it's all day the whole time. Like say cardinals and blue jays, and uh, you know every every it's it's a magnet for them, and and, and the hawks and everything else that's hunting those too. And but. we're figuring out that how beneficial they are. You know, like the blue jays will pick up acorns and go bury them in the ground and forget about them. And, yep. you know, so they, they all have a purpose. Hmm. I hate well, that I shot so many with a pellet gun when I was a kid. But. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> well, Kevin, this has been interesting. We are so uh, uh, proud that you're here for the event. And this week we're proud of the way you represent Mossy Oak Fishing and Mossy Oak camo and gamekeepers we it's just it's yeah. like lifestyle in general yeah, yeah we're just, it, it's not a camo company it's 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 a lifestyle it's a it's a you know it's who we are yeah you get it that's for sure oh my gosh yeah so we leaving anything out rich no he's gonna take a tour with yeah Dudley. we, gonna gonna yeah, we got so we i got a busy afternoon yet yep. get, get the tour going so why don't you say goodbye dudley Goodbye, Dudley. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.